Well, thank our ensemble and all of our special music for being a blessing to our church. And they rehearse very, very diligently twice a week, early Sunday morning, later in Sunday afternoon as they prepare for the evening service. We're so thankful for our orchestra and our choir. Our special speaker this morning is, is the second time he's been here. He's a good friend of mine. He's an evangelist who is a help to churches like ours. Is Dr. Tom Farrell. He's been in the ministry for over 40 years, crisscrossing the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's an expositor of God's word. I will promise you this morning that you'll hear a message that is strongly encouraging and that will stimulate your thinking, but move your heart to making a decision for the Lord. I encourage you not only this morning, but to be back tonight as well as the next three evenings as Dr. Farrell will be our special speaker for our fall revival meetings. Dr. Farrell, you come and bring the word of God to us. We're excited about what God's laying in your heart. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning, Heritage Baptist, and all of our friends that have just joined us. I'm a guest this morning. I was invited by the pastor, which I appreciate so very much. If somebody invited you, you don't normally go to church here, and you're one of our guests this morning, I'm going to raise my hand. Would you raise yours? I'm a guest. I was invited by somebody. Wonderful. We are so thrilled that you're here. This is my second visit, and I can tell you something about the people here. They will treat you so many ways, you're bound to like one of them, and you'll come back. So you just come and be a part of each and every service. We're taking the Word of God this morning and going to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians and chapter 5. While you're turning there, let me apologize that my wife is not with me. She was planning to come on this trip, but back in February the 12th, she was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. So we immediately went into action, and over the last few months, she's had three different chemo treatments. She's had bone marrow transplant. And they initially gave her two to three months to live without work and without chemo. And the most recent diagnosis is her, her cancer has gone into remission, and they're expecting her to make a full recovery. So we are glad. This has been our journey of faith with Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. But I'm here representing her, and I'm looking forward to being here four days. Tonight, 5.30, 7 o'clock every night. Thank you so very, very much for coming. Now, I want to explain in 2 Corinthians one of the reasons I'm here, and we'll go from chapter 5 into chapter 6. So we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. The Bible says, 520, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Would you look this way? The word ambassador means representative. We have ambassadors all across the world that represent the United States. It's my privilege during these four days to represent Jesus Christ and everything that his heaven is about. I don't save people. I, I am his ambassador to tell you he wants to save you. Now read on. And notice it says in verse 20, As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead that you be reconciled to God. The word reconciled means to become a friend. This is friend day. Would it shock you if I told you the God who made you, who holds your next breath in his hands, that God wants you to be his friend. He wants you to be a permanent friend. He wants you to live with him forever. Not only a friend, he wants you to be a family member. So I represent him telling you he wants you to become his friend. He wants to have close fellowship with you. He wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And he wants to change your life. Now look down in verse 21. For he that's Jesus hath made him that's God, or him that's God hath made him Jesus to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? Jesus was sinless that we might be the righteousness of God in Him. Chapter 6 and verse 1, we then as workers together. Would you look up for just a minute? 
All over this campus, there are workers. There are people who've been working for weeks, some for months. We have the pastor, we have the pastor's wife, we have the musicians. There are people cooking lunch for you right now. There are people who kept this place clean. There are folks who've invited you. We're workers together with Jesus. And here's what we're doing. We beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. In other words, don't let this moment go by. Don't let this be an empty service. This service could change your life. Now, verse 2, chapter 6. For he saith, I've heard thee at time accepted or welcome time. In the day of salvation have I succored thee or tried to help thee. Now, don't miss this last phrase. Here's what it said. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you have a bulletin in it, you've found some notes. It's entitled... The biggest decision or most important decision you will ever make. The most important decision in your life has to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants to be your friend. The question you have to ask this morning is, do you want to be his friend? If you do, we're going to learn together how that though we were born enemies of God, we can become friends of God for all eternity. We'll talk about the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Thank you very much. You may be seated. We'll pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Word of God and the God of the Word. Neither will ever change. Help me now in the next few moments to be a blessing and help to our friends. May every one of us understand how much you love us, how much you want to befriend us, and may we choose to be your friend based on the Word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. You make thousands of decisions every day. What time will I get up? What time will I go to work? What's for breakfast? What will I wear? What am I going to do when I get home? Big decisions. When I graduate, what then? Will I go to college? Will I go to the United States military? Will I get a job? Who will I marry? Where will I live? What am I going to do? When I retire, what am I going to be involved in? Every day you make decisions. But the most important decision is not about your body. It's about your soul. You see, friend, you're not a body with a soul. Technically, you're a soul with a body. When God made man, he made him the living soul. That means this. There were a time, was a time you were not. But there never be a time you will not be. For as long as God lives, the real you, the one who lives inside of you, that soul is going to live somewhere forever. Mark 8, 36 says, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The most important thing you have is not financial, it's spiritual. You have and are a soul. One day you're going to die. Your soul will come out of your body. It will spend eternity somewhere. So when God says get saved, delivered, or rescued, become my friend, He always puts it in the present tense, do it now. Isaiah one eighteen. come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You say, I might do it tomorrow. Proverbs 27, 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. You don't know what a day may bring forth. Paul Allen thought he had tomorrow, co-founder of Microsoft. But he died and left $20 billion behind. Don't look at tomorrow. God is saying today. I want to be your friend today. I want to save you today. I want your sins to be forgiven today. I want you to be able to go home and sit down this afternoon and have no worries about your future. They're all settled. Now, here's a question. Why does God put the most important decision in your life getting saved in the present tense? Well, number one, because of the certainty of death. 
Did you know the Bible speaks of death, dead, or dying 1,200 times? In Genesis 2.17, you read it the first time. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest of it, thou shalt surely die. You're going to die. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and 2, to everything there's a season. Time for every purpose into heaven. Time to be born, you've had that. Time to die, you will experience that. Ecclesiastes 8, 8, no man hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. That means this. You may work out and bench 400 pounds, but when death comes, you can't stop him. He'll take you in the first round. Ecclesiastes 9, 5, all the living know they shall die. That means that every day you live, you think about the potential of the day you will die. The statistics are in, ladies and gentlemen, one out of one die. Every time your heart pumps and rests, it says to your mind, to die, to die, to die. Romans 5, 12, for as by one man sin entered the world, death by sin. So then death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Do you realize... You must make the choice to receive Christ and become His friend before you die. Because no choices are made after you die. Once your body and soul are separated, they are separated for all eternity. You say, well, preacher, I was taught that if you weren't ready to go to heaven and you weren't bad enough to go to hell, you get a second chance in a place called the place of purging or purgatory. Here's a problem. The Bible never speaks of that. It never talks about a second chance. Hebrews 9.27 said, It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Not after this the second chance, but after this the judgment. Dear friend, do you realize you have a date on God's calendar when you will die? All decisions are in at that time. I preached in a church like this in Tennessee. 21-year-old young man came through. He thought the whole thing was a joke. He didn't like anything I had to say and believed that he was in charge of life. Sunday morning, I spoke to him. He mocked me and walked out the door. Thursday evening, he was playing basketball. He decided to race one of his buddies. He lost control of that automobile, hit a concrete post, snapped his neck, and went out into eternity. The following Saturday after that Sunday morning where he could have had his now, they were pulling his body in in a hertz as I was pulling out to go to the next meeting. You do not know when death is going to come. I was preaching at a camp. 17-year-old young man came up in a bus and went home in a hearse. You don't plan that. I could take you to the place where he said to his friend, I don't feel good. He collapsed. His body hit the ground. My friend gave him CPR. They tried to get him to the hospital, but he was pronounced DOA, dead on arrival. When they autopsied his body, they came to this conclusion, coronary arrest. He died from a heart attack. You say, preacher, you don't die from a heart attack when you're 17. You do when the death angel comes and you cannot stop him. I went back and stood where that young man stood. I thought, what is it like to have your life in front of you? And suddenly you look up, you're winded and you see the death angel. And before you can say, but I'm not, he takes your soul from your body. Death settles it all. You must make that right decision before death. There is no second chance. Number one, God says now, become my friend now, get saved now, have your sins forgiven now because of the certainty of death. Number two, because of the closeness of the rapture, I'll define the term in a minute. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is coming very, very soon. 
First Thessalonians 4.16 says, The Lord Himself, that's Jesus, will descend from heaven. There'll be a shout, voice of God, and trump. The dead in Christ. Notice that phrase, those who died before death, who made the right decision and got saved, those who are dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, so shall we ever be with the Lord. The word caught up in the Latin language is rapturo. It's translated in English rapture. Here's what it means. If Jesus Christ were to come right now without any warning, the moment he would come, every person in this building who's been genuinely saved. Now, I'm not talking about Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, Pentecostals. I'm not talking about the Jewish people and the Hindu people and the Muslim people. I'm talking about those who've been saved uh, will immediately vanish. First Corinthians fifteen fifty one. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. The word is atom, a smallest particle of time known to the human brain. In the twinkling or the jerk of an eye. So quick, it cannot be calculated. So if I was preaching today and you happen to be looking down at your fingernails and suddenly it got quiet and you look back up, I would be gone. Now, I'm not trying to help you to think of sci-fi. I'm preaching you today to the Bible and Jesus is coming. Now, the Bible teaches us that after Christ comes, if you've heard the gospel which you have heard today, you cannot be saved. Millions will be saved after the coming of Jesus who have never heard what you're hearing. But because you're hearing the good news, the good news that Jesus loves you, the good news that he died in your place, was buried and raised again, the good news that you don't ever have to be his enemy, but he wants to be your friend, the good news that you can get in his family today, because you hear that, if you do not receive that, when Christ comes, you have no second chance. Now, let me explain some things that are taking place, and then I want to read a passage of Scripture to you to prove what I'm saying. Somebody said, Preacher, I think we're very close to the coming of Jesus and to the end of the world. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 3, when asked this question, What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world or the end of the age? He said, look for these things. Here's some signs you can look for. He said, many will come in my name saying I'm Christ, but they'll receive many. In my lifetime, David Koresh, Waco, Texas, he said, I'm Christ, but he was a liar and 80 people died. Some of you at my age can remember Jim Jones, Guyana, 900 people drank cyanide laced Kool-Aid and they died following a maniac. In Puerto Rico, Jose de Jesus in 2007 said, I'm Antichrist. In 2012, he said, I'm Jesus Christ. In 2013, he died and was neither, but they keep coming. Jesus said further, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Everybody here has seen the war in Iraq. You know that right now in Iran, they're angry and continuing to produce nuclear warheads. You're aware that there's a little bit of silence on the front in northern Korea. But if that maniac decides to change his mind, they have all the powers to do that. Right now, 16 nations can push a button, flip a switch, and millions die. Jesus said, you watch for that. He said, there'll be famines. Right now, food is higher than it's ever been and more people are starving to death today than at any other time in human history. He said there'd be pestilence. The word means plagues. Many of the diseases that seem to be solved are coming back in different strands. One that has not a cure for it 
known as the bird flu, has not yet mutated among humans. But in the United States of America, those who work in the medical field are saying, if it hits America and begins to spread in two weeks, half of our 300 million man population will be decimated in two weeks. Jesus said, watch for that. He said there are going to be earthquakes. They're going to multiply and be in different locations. Every day the world trembles. You hear nothing about it till it's 4.3. Then there's the tsunami and a quarter of a million people die. Haiti, 230,000 die. Turkey. And all across the world it continues to tremble. Now Jesus said when you see all these things line up, look up because I'm coming. Now some of you are saying, wow, what you just said sounds like the evening news. You must please understand what I'm about to teach. Matthew 24 does not, let me say it again, does not predict the event when Christ comes for everybody who's been saved. That has no signs to it. So this over here will be what is known as the second coming, this flower arrangement. That is what I just preached to you in Matthew 24. There's some signs when he will come back to this earth. Seven years before that, there is a time known as the appearing of Jesus when everybody who's genuinely saved and a friend of God will be taken up. Now, all the signs I just preached to you refer to this event. You're smart enough to figure this out. You can back up seven years and figure out how much closer we are to the coming of Jesus Christ. I doubt seriously many of you young people ever live to be as old as I am. I look for the coming of Jesus Christ every day. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 because I want to explain to you how important it is that this be your now, that this be your day of salvation. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Bible tells us in verse 9, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Now, would you look up for just a moment? Most of you in this building have heard the phrase Antichrist. This is one who is coming in the place of Christ. He's a counter-Christ. He's a counterfeit. He's not real. In the Bible, you'll find this. If you will not receive that which is true and real, one day you cannot receive it. You will receive that which is false and counterfeit. Now, the Bible goes on and says in verse 10, And with all deceivableness, 2 Thessalonians 2.10, of unrighteousness... In them that perish. That word perish is also found in one of the most familiar verses of Scripture in the Bible, John 3.16. The pastor gave it to you this morning. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. God loves you, so He gave Jesus. That whoever believes in Him, not behaves for Him, but believes in Him, should not perish, not God die and go to hell, but have everlasting life. Now, in this passage of Scripture, these people did not do that. So they are perishing. They are damned and cannot be saved. Read on. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. They had a chance, just like you this morning. You can say yes or no to Jesus, but there's no middle road. So he goes on and says, for this cause, God shall send them. God is going to send those who don't want to be his friend. They don't want to be saved. They're going to do it their way. Strong delusion. In other words, they're going to be forced now to believe the lie. Now, please look very carefully at verse 12. That they all, not some, but all might be damned. Who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Have you ever asked yourself the question, how important is it to believe the truth? 
On February the 13th, after my wife was diagnosed on February the 12th, we sat in front of Dr. Goldstein, a brilliant oncologist. We looked at Dr. Goldstein and my wife said, if I choose not to take chemotherapy for this leukemia, he finished the sentence. He said, Madam, you have two to three months to live. Now, let me tell you, as a husband, that'll get your attention. My wife said quietly. So my next question was, what are you planning to do? How are you going about this? And he explained the chemotherapy. He explained the bone marrow transplant, all of which we submitted ourselves to because we only had two choices. We did not have three options. We had two options. You can choose not to do this. You will die. Your blood count in the white cells is 12 times what it's supposed to be. It's racing right now through your body. Now, listen, Dr. Goldstein was not our enemy. He was our friend because he was telling us what all the tests had revealed. Nobody that tells you there's a heaven and a hell is your enemy. They are simply looking at you and say, there's not three options. We chose to allow them to go to work. We are very grateful. My wife has lost 60 pounds. She lost her hair. And the other day, tears were running down her cheeks, and she said, this is so hard. And I said, yes, but they're saying you're recovering. It's slow and it's steady, but you're recovering. I said, would you rather have the option? And she hugged me and she said, I'm so glad we did what the doctor said because I'm still here. Now, her hair has begun to grow. She's gained some weight. She is moving back. It's going to take time. But we followed the instruction when we were given the options. Dear friend, you can believe anything you want. But there's heaven where God wants you. There is hell where God does not want you. But if you don't get saved, rescued, and delivered, you cannot see heaven or enter heaven because Jesus said so. So these people did not receive the love of the truth. First, they didn't receive God's love. I want to thank you for coming. It's been a long time since I've seen a crowd listen with this kind of rapt attention, and I want to respect you for that. Please understand this. God loves you. Romans 5, 8, but God committed his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, you're here, some people say, I'm not worthy to be saved, and you're exactly right. The pastor's not worthy, and this evangelist is not worthy. Jesus did not die for us because we were worthy of being saved. He died for us because we were unworthy of being saved. He who knew no sin, that's Jesus, sinless God, became sin for us. We were the sinners. We had the need. We needed the help. He was the Savior. He could provide the answer. And that's the reason He went to the cross by His blood to pay for our sins, was raised again to validate who He is. No, we are not worthy, none of us. But He is worthy. And when He saves us, He will get all the credit because we could not save ourselves. So God loves you. I don't know about your family. I don't know if you're in an abusive relationship, but listen to me, lady. God loves you. I don't know if you're here as a teenager today, and you're not sure who your daddy is, and there's always a different man at your house, but you need to hear from the Bible, God loves you. I'm not sure if you've been to different religions and cults, and you've left feeling so oppressed, but you need to hear today, God loves you. When he died on the cross, every drop of blood was saying, I love you. When he wouldn't come down but stayed there to pay your debt, every drop of blood was saying, I love you. Now, good friend, God loves you. He loves you like you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay like you are. So he's offering you the gift of eternal life. 
They did not receive His love. Neither did they receive His truth. I want to give you three simple truths today. If you will receive them and understand them, when you stand and walk out of here today, if you receive these three truths by faith, you will never again have to wonder what happens when you die. Truth number one, sin. Everybody say the word, please. Sin. Say it again, please. The word means to miss the mark. Most everybody who knows anything about the Bible realizes God is perfect. The problem is we are not. Now, have you ever heard anybody say, if you're going to heaven, you have to be good? That's true. It is? Yes. You have to be just as good as God. You see, Revelation 21, 27 says, there is nothing that enters heaven that will defile it. No sin is getting into heaven, not yours, not mine. Question, if you're a sinner like I am, and he's perfect and we're not, what are you going to do to become perfect like Jesus? You've already figured that out. It's an impossibility. Because the Bible says, he who knew no sin, sinless Jesus, became sin for us. Have you ever considered seriously that your sin has separated you and God? I have people and they'll say to me, well, I'm going to heaven because I keep the Ten Commandments. I say the same thing every time. Please name them. Most people sitting in this room today cannot name the Ten Commandments. I want to give you three and I want to see how well you do. The Bible says thou shalt not covet. Here's what that means. You're never to want anything that does not belong to you. Would you like to stand up and say, that's me. I've never wanted anything that didn't belong to me. Uh Uh-oh. The Bible says, thou shalt not steal. Would you like to stand up today and say, I've never taken one thing in my life that didn't belong to me, including an answer of somebody else's test paper? Uh Uh-oh. The Bible says, thou shalt not bear false witness. Would you like to get up today and say, I have never sinned? About the time you get it halfway out, your wife will put you back in the chair. Now, that's three out of ten, and I didn't give you the other seven. That means you'd be a lying, thieving, covetous individual. And Jesus said, if you break one sin, if you make one commandment in error, you're guilty of them all. Dear friend, people do not stay apart from God because the amount of their sin. Sin keeps man from God. Truth number two, sacrifice. Would you say that word with me, please? Sacrifice. In verse 21, we learn that he, Jesus, who knew no sin, sinless Christ, became sin for us. So we might be made, that's a key word, the righteousness of God in him. So how did he do that? Jesus was born sinless. He even said to those who accused him, which have you accused me of sin? Pilate, a total unsaved pagan, said, I find no fault in the man. Jesus was not crucified because they could find fault with him. Jesus was crucified because they lied about him. And he allowed it to happen because he was taking our place. He was totally without sin. We were totally with sin. And so he made that sacrifice so that we would not have to spend eternity from him. When Jesus died, the Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. The word redeem means to buy back. We were in the slave market of sin. Jesus paid the debt, so we did not have to pay for it in hell for eternity. When Christ died, he didn't die because he was a martyr. He didn't die for his own sin. He died in my place. 
And only His blood, the Bible teaches, can take away sin. So we have the word sin, and we have the word sacrifice. I want to give you this word, sentence. Everybody say that word, sentence. Romans 6.23 says the wages or payment for sin is death. Somebody asked me, what do you have to do to go to hell? And the answer is nothing. When my wife asked Dr. Goldstein, how did I get leukemia? These are his exact words. Brilliant man. He said, bad luck. You have to go to med school to figure that out, I guess. And she said, bad luck. He said, lady, the kind of cancer you have, we have not figured out why people get it. That's an amazing thing. But she had it. She could argue about it. She said, I could reject it. I don't believe in it. That's up to her. She would not be alive today. She came and, as she said, wrapped her brain around the fact that although her other health is good, cancer was destroying her body. She was either going to have surgery or the undertaker. Now, good friend, here's what the Bible says. You can have Jesus or you can spend an eternity away from Christ. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You can argue about it. You can deny it. You can be mad about it. But when you're by yourself, your conscience whispers to you, this is true. Some of you, this is not the first time you've considered Jesus Christ. But you didn't realize there comes a day when you can't have him. So Jesus shows us we're a sinner and no sin can get into heaven. Jesus shows us that we're sentenced, damned and doomed apart from him. But Jesus doesn't want us doomed. He wants us delivered. God never wanted anybody to go to hell. If he had, he would have never died on the cross. His whole reason for dying in our place to say, I love you. I care about you. You're distant. You're my enemy, but I want you to be my friend. You get to make the choice, but you have to take the consequence. You say, well, preacher, I understand that. I'm a sinner. I'm sentenced. He's made the sacrifice. The only way I'm going to ever be righteous is he's going to have to give it to me. I got that. What if I don't do it and Christ comes? Well, the Bible teaches in this passage of Scripture because they did not receive the love of the truth. Every one of them was damned. You say, preacher, what if you're wrong? All right, let's suppose I am. Let's suppose as I'm coming to a conclusion in this message today, suddenly uh, you turn and maybe you look at your watch and you look up and I'm not here. You look all around, the vast majority of people are not here. You turned to the person sitting next to you and said, that man wasn't kidding. They're all gone. And you get down on your knees and you say, dear God, I was not interested, but I am now. Please save me. I believe the Bible teaches you will not be saved. Millions will be saved who've never heard the gospel in the tribulation hour. You will not. But let's suppose I'm wrong. Let's suppose you kneel down and trust Jesus Christ. Do you have any idea what you're going to face for the next seven years? In Revelation chapter 16, the Bible says these things are going to happen. All the oceans are going to turn blood red and everything's going to die. Now, I know why that would shock you. I live in Florida. We have right now the red tide. Multiplied millions of fish have died, and it looks copper red in its intonation. It's already going on in the state of Florida in the Atlantic Ocean. Jesus said all fresh water will not turn uh, like blood, but it will turn to blood. And man will be so famished to drink, he will drink human blood. Preacher, hard to believe. Don't misunderstand. If you read the Bible, you'll find the Nile River that was the nourishment for the Egyptians turned blood red during the days of Moses. 
Jesus said, all of the sun is going to begin to burn people. Study Revelation 16. The sun is 93 million miles away, 10,000 degrees hot. You move it a half degree this way, we fry. A half degree that way, we freeze. Study the ozone layer. They've been watching it dissipate for years. What's keeping the rays of the sun from burning us alive? It's the ozone layer which is dissipating. Almighty God who made the planets can take the sun and the earth, move them closer, and the Bible says men will be burned with a scorching heat. The Bible tells us about the big earthquake that is coming. You can read about it very plainly in Revelation 16. It says every mountain will be flattened. I preach in the Tetons, Adirondacks, Great Smokies, and I tell them there's coming a day these mountains won't exist. The Bible tells us that every island will sink. Right now, the Discovery Channel and the History Channel are talking about global warming, the melting of the ice caps. They said very soon every seaport city will go underwater and all the islands will sink. I'm not trying to give you some kind of Halloween message, some kind of mysterious message. I'm telling you in the face today, there's coming a day, if you're not saved, and you could get saved, you're going to face catastrophic and cataclysmic events. You do not want to be here. Number one, Jesus said now because of the certainty of death. Two, because of the closeness of the rapture. And if you'll take your Bible and go to the book of Romans chapter 1, I'll close my message here. He says now because of the chance of becoming reprobate. The chance of becoming reprobate. Now, many people believe this. I can get saved any time I want. Would you look right up here, please, because I want to teach you the Bible today. You cannot get saved any time you want. And if you were taught that, you were not taught the Bible. John 6, 63, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit of God, has to quicken you. John chapter 8, the Father has to draw you. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, the Word of God, like good seed, has to find a lodging place in your heart. If the Holy Spirit doesn't deal with you anymore, if God the Father turns His back on you, and when the Word of God is preached, it's like throwing seed on this floor. You will never be saved. But God loves you and is patient and wants you to be saved, N-O-W, now. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, Romans 1.18, and unrighteous to men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, Because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has shown them unto them. You would know there is a God simply by creation. It's an amazing thing that in the United States of America, where evolution is taught, they still use the term creature. Where did it come from? It means created one. Would you explain to me, if there was an explosion, particles came, all of a sudden we came together centuries later, why don't they just call us exploded pieces that were glued together? Why do they call us creatures? Because it comes from the word creator. You have a creator. He has placed eternity in your heart. Second, you have a conscience. And in your most quiet moments, when you have nobody to impress, when you're not trying to say, I don't believe all this junk, the Holy Spirit of God loves you enough to whisper, this is true. Some of you have watched religious broadcasting. You shut it off because you got mad, but you went to your bedroom and said, there's got to be some truth in that. Some of you are watching the catastrophes that are going on. A maniac yesterday kills 11 people in a Jewish synagogue who would simply go to worship. You said to yourself, what in the world is going on with these pipe bombs? It seems like the world is on the verge of extinction. You're exactly right. That's exactly where we are. You have a creator. You have conscience. And then there's Christ. 
If you cannot be saved, if God doesn't want to take away your sin, why did Jesus come? The biggest fiasco in all of human history was for Jesus to leave heaven and take on the body of a human being, die in your place. It's all a hoax. It's all a joke. But my dear friend, it's absolutely true because Christ loves you. Christ has interrupted your broadcast to bring a special announcement. I don't want you damned. I want you delivered. I do not want you to live away from me. I want you to live with me. I do not want you to be my enemy. I want you to be my friend. And he has done everything to give you that opportunity. Now watch what man does, verse 21. Because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. In essence, they got up from a service like this and said, let's go eat lunch. I'm not interested. No thanks. In essence, they said, well, God doesn't exist. No thanks. In essence, they said, all this stuff is a bunch of hoax and religious people are just trying to use you. I don't need God. Now, you would think right here from the talking to the average American, God says, come. You say, no, God says, come. And you make the choice anytime you want. But look, please, at verse 24. Look at it. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. Verse 26, for this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. Verse 28, even that is not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Do you know what the word reprobate means? It means you cannot discharge mental decisions. You would not, when you understood, say yes to Jesus. So there's a day you cannot say yes to Jesus. They abandoned God. God abandoned them. Preachers had ever found in the Bible. There's a fellow by the name of Judas who was in a Christian school. You can go to a Christian school and never go to heaven. He was the treasure of the student body. He did not lose his salvation. There's no such thing. He walked away from Jesus. He takes his life, and while you're sitting in air-conditioned comfort, he's burning in hell. Because he said no to Jesus, Jesus said no to him. So God says, come, and man says, no. And God says, come, and man says, no. And God says, last call. And man says, I'll take my chances. And God says, no. I'll never speak to you again. Preacher, have you ever met in a reprobate? One who cannot make biblical decisions. I think in my ministry, I've met five. Do you have to understand this this morning, good friend? Since I have never been to heaven or hell, I've just read about both in the Bible. I do not condemn these people. I'm saying from every outward appearance, it appears they damned their own soul. I was preaching in the state of Ohio. I turned to the pastor and I said, Pastor, is there anybody here today who you think needs to be saved? He said, if you go to the left-hand side by the back door on the aisle, I whispered to him, he is a one big fella. He said, he's an ex-cop. He said, I'm shocked he's here because he hates church, God, and everything to do with the Bible. I preached. He got more mad the whole time I was preaching. By the way, if you've been mad at this preacher in this book, you need to be saved this very day. And he was mad. I went to where I knew he would come out. As I was standing there, he pushed open the door. I stuck a track towards him, a gospel leaflet. He smacked it and cursed me on the way out. Right behind him came his wife. She apologized. I said, dear lady, don't apologize for him. I used to fist fight and run with guys just like that. I said, would you give him this gospel leaflet? She said, sir, if I do, he'll beat me up in the car. I said, no, ma'am, he will not. When you give it to him, tell him the evangelist loves him and Jesus loves him. And we want him to be saved. There are a hundred people who witnessed this. 
He came pushing his way through the crowd, walked up to me and crumpled up that gospel leaflet, the good news of Jesus, slammed it in my chest and profaned me and Jesus. It stunned the crowd. The pastor came to me and he said, I'm so sorry. I said, don't be sorry. Let's go visit him. He said, have you lost your mind? I said, no, let's go visit him. The next night we went to his house, rang the doorbell. He didn't come. He and his wife were out shopping. His son came, 21 years of age. Do not miss this. You will never go to hell by yourself. I'm going to tell you again, you'll never go to hell by yourself. Some of you are going to reject Jesus. And in hell, in the darkness of forever, you're going to hear the cries of your children. They're going to follow you. Some of you are going to reject Jesus. And the parents that you could have led to Jesus are going to haunt you for all eternity. You'll never go to hell by yourself. I tried to witness to him. He was not interested. I said to the pastor, maybe we better go. About that time, that man, that big ex-cop, walked in. He came over to me and started lacing me with profanity. I turned to go towards the door. He came right behind me, still profaning me. I've never done this but once in my ministry. I turned around and I looked him in the face and I said, Hey, has there been a day in your life, mister, you ever wanted to be saved? First time he got quiet, he put his head down. He said, I can't answer that. I said, sir, you better answer that because you have a date with God. I said, now I'm going to pray for you. And I knelt down in front of him and I begged God to give him a second chance. And then I stood up and I said, you'll never curse me or my God again. I'm leaving your home. I walked out, got in the front seat of the car. The pastor came, got in this driver's side. He turned and looked at me. He said, Dr. Farrell, why did you ask that man that? I said, sir, I think you just met a reprobate. I think he's had an opportunity to be saved, and he played with it, and he's damned. I don't think he'll ever be saved. He said, Dr. Farrell, ten years ago, I brought a preacher friend of mine. We witnessed to the man. We invited him to come to Christ. For all the world, it looked like he was going to be saved. And he said, I can't explain it. But he looked up as old as he had daggers in his eyes, and he said, I won't do it. And he said, he has been just as mean as you saw him today. I said, preacher, you better pray that the Holy Spirit of God will give him another chance. Otherwise, he'll be in hell for all eternity. Now, I have a question this morning. Has there been a time and place in your life that you made the most important choice? I am a sinner. Jesus, you're the only Savior. I refuse to trust baptism and catechism and confirmation and all my good works. I'm putting all of my faith in you. I receive you. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you're on your way to heaven? I brought with me one of the books called Songs of Hymns, Hymns and Revival. This is going to be today the book of life. The Bible tells us in Revelation 20:15, whoever's not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. Notice the Bible does not say, if you're not a Baptist, not a Catholic, if you have not been confirmed, if you've not done your best, it says if your name is not in the book of life, you'll be cast in the lake of fire. The book of life registers the day you make that most important decision. And you can say anything you want. And you can say, I'm good, everything's okay. But the issue at hand today is your name in the book of life. I want you to imagine this morning that Jesus Christ comes through the door. He comes up on the platform. I go sit down next to the pastor because we're not any better than you. He said, ladies and gentlemen, on this friend day, I'm the friend that this man talked to you about. I know who is in this book and who's not. And I'm going to tell you who chose to be my friend. I'm going to tell you who chose to be saved. When I call your name, stand. One name is called, a man stands. Another name is called, lady stands. Another man name is called, teenager stands. And finally, he closes the book. And he says, those who are now standing, you belong to me. Your name is in my book. 
And those of you who are not standing do not belong to me. I'm taking everyone standing today to my heaven because they're the real Christian. The rest of you who pretended to be are now on your way to hell. You're the only person that can answer this question, but you better answer it right. Can you prove from the Bible that your name is in the book of life? If you just said no or I don't know, today is your day. In the privacy of your seat, not to give one dollar, not to join a church, not to be baptized, but to receive the gift of eternal life right now. I want to thank you for coming and listening. Please do not miss this true story. Evangelist J. Harold Smith, now in heaven, preached in the state of Louisiana. He preached a message similar to what I'm preaching, entitled God's Three Deadlines. While he was up to preach, three businessmen came in and sat at the back of the auditorium. They laughed while he preached and mocked him. When time came for people to receive Jesus, they laughed and mocked at those who were getting saved. J. Harold Smith tells the story and has told it for many years before he went home to be the Lord. He looked at the back and said, you three men, I don't know who you are, but I believe you've crossed God's deadline and he'll kill you. And they laughed and left. This is documented. You can prove it. In 24 hours, all three men were dead. The first of the three men who mocked God and said no when Jesus said now, put his key in the door to go to work and drop dead from a heart attack. That same morning at 11.30, the second of the three businessmen crossing the street dropped dead from a heart attack. Around the 5 o'clock hour, the third of the three businessmen who thought the whole thing was a joke was sitting scared out of his mind, but it was too late. He said to his secretary, and this was recorded, My two friends and I mocked God and rejected his gift of eternal life. He said, My two friends are already dead and in hell. And I will be dead and in hell before it's dark. Within the next few moments, he pitched himself out of his chair, dead from a heart attack. The night before, God said to three men, now. In 24 hours, God said to three men, no. And that's why God is saying to you, now's the accepted time. Now's the day of salvation. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes across the house. As we're bowed before the Lord, I'm going to ask you to go nowhere and not disturb the service, please. This is a holy moment. As we're bowed before the Lord, would you answer this question? Would you be honest with God? How many of you could say, preacher, I have made the most important decision in life. I'm not trusting baptism, confirmation, or catechism. I'm not trusting my good works. I know, and I'm sure, I have been saved by Jesus Christ. I know, and I'm sure, my name is in the book of life. I can prove it from my Bible. And listen to it again. I know, and I'm certain, I've been saved by Jesus Christ. I know, and I'm certain, my name is in the book of life. I can prove that from my Bible. Now, friend, if you do not know that, please don't say that you do. But if you do know that, and you can prove those two statements from your Bible, would you raise your hand as a testimony? I'm absolutely certain Thank you. May take your hands down. Good friend, if you did not raise your hand, may I tell you how much I respect you. You're an honest person. But if you're going to be saved, rescued, and delivered, you must go a step further from being honest. You must be humble enough to ask Jesus, the only God, to come and live in your life. If you did not raise your hand, this is your now. This is your opportunity. This is the day God wants you to be his friend. This is the day God wants to forgive you of all of your sins. 
In just a moment, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. The word pray means to ask. You will not be saved by the prayer. You will be asking Jesus to save you today. I'll pray a phrase and stop. You pray it silently from your heart to Jesus. I'll pray another phrase and stop. You pray it from your heart to Jesus. What you're doing is asking Jesus Christ, the only God, to come in your life, take away your sin, and make you his child and his friend. As I pray each phrase, I'll wait. I beg you in Jesus' name as your friend. Allow Jesus Christ to become your eternal friend today. Allow him to forgive you of every sin you've ever committed. If you could not raise your hand, if you're not, you're not sure your name is in the book of life, pray after me silently and sincerely each phrase to Jesus Christ who loves you. Here's the prayer. You pray it silently to him. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I'm a sinner. I have never done anything to take away my sin. But today, October 28th, I don't want my sin anymore. I do believe, Jesus, you are the only God. And I believe everything you did on that cross was for me. And I now ask you to come live in my life. I receive your goodness. I don't have any. Thank you that my sins are now gone. Thank you that I'll never go to hell. Thank you that you've just put my name in your eternal book. Please help me, Jesus, never to be ashamed of you. As we're bowed before the Lord, did you pray that? Please understand that prayer did not save you. But if you prayed and asked Jesus to, he did. Jesus said, whoever believes on me will never be ashamed. When I got married 45 years ago, I have introduced my wife to everybody that will stop and listen for the last 45 years. I'm not embarrassed of her. She's my wife. When you get married to Jesus and receive him, and he's now your friend, you're never embarrassed to admit he's your friend. A moment ago, you could not raise your hand. You did not know for sure you were going to heaven. You were honest. But I believe many of you just prayed and asked God to come in your life. And now you're on the way to heaven. Jesus is your Savior and your friend. In a moment, I'm going to ask those of you who prayed and asked God to come in your life to say nothing and join nothing. But in a moment, I'm going to ask you, if you received Christ this morning and prayed with me, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And when I see it, I will say thank you. I will not name you. I'm from out of town. I don't know you. But I will know if I never meet you again that one day I'm going to meet you in heaven because you just made the most important decision you've ever made in your life. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you prayed with me this morning and asked Christ to come in your life, if you prayed with me this morning and asked God to come and live inside you and become your friend, wherever you are and whoever you are, if you just prayed with me this morning and you asked God to save you and to be your friend, right now please raise your hand with mine. Just hold them straight up all over the building. Just hold them up all over the building. Wherever you are, all over the building. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you. You may take your hands down. If you prayed with me but did not raise your hand, I've seen many. Please do not raise it a second time. But if you prayed with me and did not raise your hand, would you raise it right now? Anybody else in the building, would you raise it up right now? Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. 
I'm glad I didn't close the service. I'm glad we now know. Anywhere else in this building, I prayed and I asked God to come in my life. Anywhere else in this building. Now, good friend, if you just prayed with me and asked God to come in your life, would you look up at me, please, from all over this building, those of you who prayed with me, just look right up at me. Would you do that, please? I want to say to every one of you folks, every one of you folks, welcome to God's family. If you receive Jesus, He received you. Your name is now in His book. He'll never erase it. This book says you have no sin. You now belong to Him. You're His child. We would like to be a blessing and a help to you. And we would like to welcome you to the family of God in a very, very special way this morning. So wherever you are looking at me, and there's many of you doing this, wherever you are, we would like to bring something to you and have a word of prayer with you. And here's how we'd like to do it. If you're looking at me right now, wherever you are, you belong to Jesus. You're our friends and our family members. Every one of you that's looking at me right now, would you stand to your feet? Just quickly stand to your feet all over this building. I prayed with you and I asked God to come in your life. Just stand up real quickly all over this building. I did that just real quickly, just as quick as you can. I asked God to save me. I'm glad that I did. Now, soul winners, would you do this, please? Would you go by, please, and hand them a piece of information and see if you might pray with them? Just remain standing for a moment. If you have not stood, would you stand, please? I asked God to save me, and I'm glad that I did. You just stand right where you are. A soul winner is coming to give you a piece of information that's going to help you walk with God, and he's going to have a special, special time. She's going to have a special time with you. If you receive Jesus, would you stand right now? Anywhere else in this building? Anywhere else in this building? All right, may we all stand with our heads bowed, please. Everyone standing together. Everyone standing together. Father, thank you today. Thank you today that you have saved folks in this building, and we're extremely excited, and we give you all the praise, honor, and glory. Now, would you listen to me, please? The pastor of the church is coming to close, so listen to him on how he's going to close. And let me say to you today, if you really receive Jesus, and for some reason you are a little bit timid about standing, at every door, at every door, there'll be an encourager, a person who has some information that'll help you walk with God, a person that'll be a blessing to you. And pastor will tell you how to meet that person. If today you have a friend who needs Jesus because you brought them, and you believe they trusted Christ. Listen to me as if you're a Christian. Please help them to stop by a door and pick up a piece of free information and let us know how we can help them. Pastor, would you come and close? Our Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for the very clear gospel message about the urgency and the importance of receiving your son, Jesus Christ, as personal Savior. We recognize that, Lord, if there's ever time to be saved, now is the time to be saved. And we thank you that with that, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the simple faith of many around the room who, Lord, just unashamedly called upon the Lord Jesus Christ to take away their sins and to become their Savior. We thank you today that, Lord, their name is permanently etched in your book of life, that nothing and no one can take their name out of there. We thank you that they are irrevocably a son of God, a child of the Lord, a child of God. We thank you that the gift of eternal life is theirs, and they've been passed from death into life. 
We thank you this morning for that faith. We pray today that you'll be glorified through every decision. Thank you today for guests who've come. Some are still thinking, and we pray that even to, before they even leave the campus today, that they'd exercise a simple faith of calling upon Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.